Thousands of internally displaced persons and refugees forced to flee violence in northeastern Nigeria have returned to their communities. Multiple camps in Maiduguri have been closed in the past months. Two other camps are also said to be closed as part of the Bono State government's policy to reconstruct communities and resettle displaced persons. Not everyone is finally at home in their ancestral communities though. The continued insecurity has forced some returnees to stay in secondary locations. What this means is that they are facing another form of displacement. There are also concerns about the quality of life and lack of access to livelihood and humanitarian assistance for returnees. In some quarters, it is believed that resettlement and rebuilding are integral to resilience and should be a priority now in spite of the debate around timing and conditions. This situation prevents a dilemma with humanitarian and security consequences for the people. Hello, welcome to The Crisis Room, a podcast from Human Angle. I am Kunle Adebaju, and I stand in for my colleague Murutala Abdullah. In this podcast, we look at crisis trends across the country and answer the tough questions around them. This week, I am here with our Lake Chad Region Editor, Abdukarim Haruna, and the Human Angle Accountability Fellow, Usman Abazanna. Both of them are residents in the Bono State Capital. Welcome to the TCR. Uh, how's my degree today? Well, my degree is fine. The weather is okay. I'm delighted to hear that. My degree is at the heart of the conversation around entering a new chapter, pushing forward and closing IDP camps. In the last 13 years, the insurgency and counter-insurgency have undergone several phases. Now, it appears that authorities, particularly in the northeastern states of Borno, have made rebuilding and resettlement a top priority. Several camps have been closed and temporary and permanent shelters have been constructed in various communities. But as we mentioned earlier, there are real concerns, as also highlighted by the recent Human Rights Watch report. The flood and humanitarian situation in Malamfatori, near Lake Chad, is a glimpse into these issues. Abdul Karim, can you give us a summary of what's going on uh, in the minds of the authorities as they continue to shut down these camps and move the IDPs to locations that are closer to the ancestral communities? Yeah, um, thank you very much. Uh, the authorities here are still um, bent on the decision to see that uh, the camps are closed. And I don't think um, they are going back on that because the government uh, has continued to re-echo the need for people to go back to their ancestral communities so that they can build their resilience and so on. This is, this is the narrative that is going on. And um, uh, the government uh, is not giving any excuse uh, for anybody to remain uh, in any camp. Uh, especially official camps that are insisted that people must go on. And the governor has uh, has remained consistent in his narratives that uh, the camps uh, become a ground for all kind of criminalities, that their people are beggars and have become beggars and so on, and they need to return them to the communities. And um, uh, the government, all they do now is that uh, 
they are aware that uh, there are difficulties uh, uh, that people that have been returned to their local government headquarters and some uh, mega uh, towns that have become uh, IDP centers, that people are facing some difficulties. That's why you see them still going there to distribute food and other relief material as a way of uh, uh, relieving their difficulties there. Uh, just some few days ago, the governor was uh, uh, in uh, Gamborungala, where he spent like two days there distributing uh, food items. According to government officials, worth 250 uh, million naira to see that people are stabilized there. Uh, but the situation there is still uh, a situation of people being moved from one displacement to uh, another uh, form of displacement. It's more restricted uh, displacement because people have no freedom to move. So I think that's just the situation here, and um, the government is still uh, bent on this policy to see that the remaining two camps are closed. What camps have not been closed yet, if you could mention them? Yeah, uh, we have uh, the Gubio camp and then the Muna El Badawi camp. They are still there, they've not been closed. Thank you. So I understand when the government first uh, stepped up these efforts of resettling the IDPs, there was some sort of resistance from the humanitarian organizations. I remember Amnesty International released a press statement. Uh, I think Human Rights Watch too has, has made statements along the lines of uh, the government needs to be more prudent or careful with how it goes about the resettling. Uh, it's also because at the time the government said it would not allow humanitarian organizations to provide aid to the IDPs because they wanted them to build resilience, to farm, to get their own sources of income and all that. Uh, what, what do you think is the energy, the vibe from the humanitarian community these days? Are they, are they, have they been granted more access? Are they getting more warmed up to this program? I'm not sure there's any access. Uh, that is why you see, uh, uh, of course, like in Burma, there are still uh, some uh, uh, humanitarian organizations like uh, GISCO that are still providing uh, services, uh, mostly around protection uh, uh, in Burma. But when it comes to the issue of um, food and other uh, uh uh, items that people need for uh, livelihood, I think it is not going there. Uh, of course, uh, in, uh, uh, even if there are, I think they are not as significant as it was before, because the government uh, f uh, felt uh, doing so is going to uh, affect the resilience that they are trying to push uh, uh, in those uh, communities. Um, and if you remember, when uh, the, uh, the INGOs uh, resisted that and uh, raised concern about uh, further displacement, uh, the government came to say, okay, yeah, of course, uh, we will allow you to um, uh, uh, to provide skeletal services maybe in those communities, but there are some certain services uh, that uh, you cannot provide in camps within uh, Borno State. And uh, within Maiduguri, uh, that, is why, that is why you see a camp like uh, Mona, Muna El Badawi and uh, Gubio camp are facing serious difficulty. And uh, it is so bad that uh, people are becoming very apprehensive of even going out of the camp to look for something to take care of their family because uh, the, 
the the need the the, gov the government visit at the time that they don't announce to the people that okay we are coming to close the camp or we are coming to share some uh, uh, ta uh, uh, cards that will qualify you for some money and other things before you relocate. So people find it difficult to move out of the camp in fear of the fact that they may miss that opportunity and that has uh, plunged them in serious uh, uh, crisis for hunger and so on. So uh, that is it. But if you look at it, there's still difficulty. Even in Burma, I was in Burma some two months ago, and I saw how choked up the place is. And the government has to spend uh, like three days uh, providing relief for almost the entire town. Uh, 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 that is what over one billion naira or so, just to see that uh, they cushion the effect of the hardship that people are facing there. And that applies to other uh, localities because there's a restrained movement. You cannot uh, move out of those uh, locations. And uh, uh, because those returning to the camp, uh, to those communities, are, they, they, are, they are meeting other people in those communities. So the place becomes choked up and the space for farming that were provided is a bit choked up. Like in Goza too, there was a mild protest uh, some weeks ago because the women are saying that uh, their men are being killed if they uh, venture further beyond the allowed space where they needed to farm. Yes, I would, I would want Usman to speak more on that issue uh, because I understand last August you wrote about how resettled communities in Goza uh, are forced to cross into neighboring Cameroon to get drinking portable water. Um, of course, we know that the government has good intentions. Uh, they want to build resilience. They want the IDPs to be self-sufficient. They don't want them to be over-dependent on uh, the goodwill or good gestures of the international donor community. Uh, but there are challenges, like Abdul Karim rightly pointed out. So, Usman, what other things are you hearing from the resettlement, uh, about the resettlement program from the communities affected? Okay, thank you, Kule, for this question. I think um, the community, for example, Kirao community, is a very good example of the sample that uh, communities are resettled. So, um, communities like Kirawa are very happy and welcomed the 2021 decisions for resettlement of IDPs by the end of December. And one of these reasons is some of the community members say this will give them a chance to reinvest some of the past glories that they have in their community. And one important thing is their farming and their, and their family connections. These are all concerns that makes them feel that decision was a very good one. And however, this, this decision, because it has come with a lot of criticism, even from the international communities and local communities, there are issues that the communities are still vulnerable because of their uh, status. For example, uh, when I visited Kirawa, I had a lot of things that the members of the Nemstad actors are still attacking this community in a very um, different ways. So, okay. yeah, so <clears throat> in, the, in, in Kirawa, for example, aside from the basic needs, the water, there are some other challenges. And these challenges include the basic amenities like the school. For example, one man who I interviewed said that 
in Cameroon when he was in Cameroon. His children were enrolled in schools. And we can see also that in the Alori camp, which was recently closed, there are school facilities that is educating the children of these IDPs. And the problem is when these communities were resettled, the, the system of education has already been destroyed by the insurgency when they, they flee the community. So when they come back, these this basic amenities are not there. For example, in Kilawa, the school was renovated since they were, they, are, they were resettled. But there are still no activities of teaching activities going on. And this is worrying the communities. I can remember some of the heads of the community said that this, if this kind of basic things will be fulfilled, the communities will have more courage to come back because you, yeah. can't, you can't bring people back where they have access to education at their camps and come back to their own community. They don't even have the access to education. And this is yes. worrying them. Their education for their children's education is not continuing. And this is another dimension on some of the um, implications of this decision yes. to relocate communities. So if I, if I understand um, accurately, the, co- the communities are really proud to be back in the places of their birth. But of course, they are also not having access to a lot of amenities that they previously had access to, say, in IDP camps and um, in the host communities they were before. Uh, that, 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 that's quite a situation to be in. Uh, so finally, to both of you, I would like to ask, uh, what recommendations do you have for the government and other stakeholders about this resettlement program? How can they improve the resilience of the displaced people, uh, reduce dependency on aid, and at the same time make sure that they are not simply making lives more difficult for these people? Uh, Usman, would you like to go first? Okay, okay. Uh, yes, I, I think the policy of resettlement in Borno's context is one of the most strategic because we, we understand that the activities of the insurgency in the region is, in, is indiscriminate. What I mean here is you see non-state actors indiscriminately affecting the civilian population. So therefore, I think the, the question of international humanitarian law comes in because if you design a policy or a program to resettle communities and yet those um, actors that are waging disturbance and violence against these communities are still not um, abiding by these rules. This is the problem. So I would recommend if the government policy will be including things like um, sensitizing or liberating information on, on these non-state actors to, to, to see that um, internally displaced people are not really the subject or the object of of the of the conflict i think it will go in in in, in it will go a long way to support the programs of re- resilience the programs of of even giving them independence not to depend on international yeah. humanitarian aid i really have to agree with you uh, that everybody should you know pay more attention to human, international humanitarian law especially the rules governing and violence, uh, such that you know civilian casualties will be reduced to the barest minimum. Uh, Abdul Karim, what would you like to say about this issue? Yeah, um, 
it will be fantastic if uh, everyone adheres to the international humanitarian law. Um, but um, the the non-state actors that we are dealing with here, they really give no uh, respect to that. They don't even there's not any organized form of um, interaction or dialogue with them. So uh, it, it may be a bit difficult. They really don't care anything about government. They don't even care. They don't want to listen to you. So uh, getting them to even respect the international humanitarian law may be a bit difficult. But I also advise that um, government should also uh, uh, deepen uh, their uh, strategy for this relocation by seeking the consent of uh, uh, the IDPs as to if they are really uh, eager to go. You know, sometimes the way you present the matter that if you don't live here, uh, this, this is just your last chance and we are closing the camps and so on. So some people will just, okay, we are going back. But I think uh, there should be some kind of uh, a consultation with the leadership of those IDPs in their camps. Let them, if you have to follow the international uh, humanitarian law and the protocol for uh, the relocation of IDPs, I think there should be a kind of a committee of uh, government officials, the leadership of the IDP in the camps, and uh, those in the, uh, 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 the community they are being returned. Let them go and find out if that place, okay, fine, is it um, uh, habitable and so on, is it safe for them? It is when they go to find out and, okay, the place, they cannot come back and tell their people, look, I think we are good to go. We can go and settle because there are houses there. Because we have had a lot of claims that uh, houses have been built only for people to go and start erecting their own shanties and so on. It's really very difficult. And also, I think, uh, of course, it is really important that uh, people should go back to their communities. But uh, the manner in which you are making them to go is the issue. Uh, the, the military is still fighting these insurgents. Uh, bombs are still being uh, dropped in some locations around those uh, 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 resettled communities or the uh, local government headquarters where people are being camped. That goes to show that there are really challenges of security. So I think the military have to... Uh, uh, free those locations of these insurgents and secure them then so that they can make people to go to back to their to those communities but not really uh, crowding them in the IDB camp. So I think to me uh, uh, we should um, not hurry people out of the IDP camp where they feel they are safer to where they will be more uh, endangered or uh, put in a very difficult situation. Like the case of um, uh, Muna uh, El Badawi camp and the Gubio camp. I think even if you have made mistake in the past, we shouldn't rush this. They should reverse some certain things they have uh, uh, placed as ban, like food, medication to these people, because they are really becoming desperate, and the people are going doing some things that are not supposed to do, like going into uh, sex for food, criminality, and so on. Uh, and it's really not good. You see children on the streets and children are begging in the street, and all this child labor is going on. Uh, it's really very difficult for them. So I think government should relax that uh, ban and let the uh, humanitarian organizations go in and continue to provide service until when they are ready to move them out of that place. Well, thank you for that beautiful insight. Um, again, I agree that the government has its work cut out for it. And even though everybody aspires to a time when there would be no conflict. People would be back to their communities, uh, living as happily and peacefully as they used to. You know, we cannot rush. We cannot rush 
to that to, to that um, aspired scene. So the government should take things slowly because at the end of the day, it's not just about the dignity of people. We also have to consider human lives and safety. Um, yes. So thank you so much. Thank you, Abdul Karim and Usman, for joining us to have this really important conversation. Um, we look forward to having one or both of you again <laughs> join us on the Crisis Room podcast. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much. This is an episode of Human Angle Crisis Room. Join us again in two weeks for another episode. The producer is Anthony Asemota. The executive producer is Ahmed Saukida.